Get ready for a one-of-a-kind experience. Welcome, welcome to the Starter Zone. Your home for the weekly news around the world. Your host for this journey, Amanda. <laughs> oh, behave. She's going to bring you everything you need to hear about gaming and entertainment. Hold tight, because here she comes. Well, hello there, adventurers. Good day to you all, and thank you, Raven, for that warm welcome, as always. Welcome to the Starter Zone. I am your guide, Amanda, and it is time to bring you the headlines from all of the entertainment and gaming news sources. There is a lot of financial talk going on in the gaming and entertainment world, so we have some business to talk about. The kick has been banned in one country. Dr. Disrespect is getting into the kick discussion. EA is kind of having a personality split. The FTC is back in the news and more. Let's saddle up, guys, and get going. Since its launch in late of 2022, the train wreck co-owned streaming platform known as Kick has skyrocketed in popularity with the streamers, but it seems now they might have gotten kicked out. Okay, okay, all jokes aside though, seriously, Kick looks like it's reportedly been banned in the European country of Greece. To be more precise though, it's select internet service providers within Greece that implemented the embargo on this particular platform. There was a YouTuber by the name of N3LSWN, and he uploaded a video where he attempted to access Kick's website, but encountered a connection issues message that was indicating the servers were unreachable. Now, additionally, the webpage displayed a message saying the website was blocked due to the usage of unauthorized gambling sites. Here's what it said directly. You have attempted to access a site that provides unauthorized gambling services. By law, internet service providers are required to disallow access to unauthorized gambling sites listed on the blacklist. So essentially, Kik has been labeled as a gambling site by Greece, so locals don't have access anymore. Now, if you're not familiar with Kik, I did discuss this in a previous episode, but Kik is a recently launched live streaming platform that resembles the more well-known site of twitch.tv however its website distinguishes itself by incorporating gambling and slots streaming and interestingly enough the company's majority shareholder is actually called stake it's a well-known gambling website in contrast twitch took measures back in september of 2022 to ban slots and roulette streams from unlicensed gambling websites in the u.s Stake was among one of the websites that was included in Twitch's blacklist of restricted platforms. But however, Greece seems to have gone further and has implemented a complete embargo on Kick itself because of its association with Stake. Now, it is important to note, however, 
gambling is not the only type of content that's available on the website kick is a live streaming platform it is similar to twitch meaning gambling is just one of one of the various categories that they have on the site nevertheless individuals that live in greece can still access the platform using a vpn and at the time that this was reported the platform owners of ed craven and trainwrecks tv haven't made any they haven't made any official statement regarding their recent ban now news of this ban started spreading rapidly across several different media social media platforms specifically twitter and reddit that parts of reddit that weren't part of the blackout and for example it was actually shared on xqc's official subreddit where fans were expressing their thoughts and their opinions by posting comments and several members of the eu European Union took to the thread to remark that they can't access Twitch channel points, indicating that their countries may also have taken similar steps. So some of these countries are saying that Twitch channel points, which are the points you accrue just by physically watching a channel, um, are considered a a gambling thing. I mean, you, you earn them just by watching and then you spend them on ridiculousness that a streamer puts on there. I know several that hey, spend 10,000 channel points and you can give get a shout-out. I don't know why that would maybe be considered gambling, but I'm not a member of the EU that made this decision. Now, another user also commented that Belgium, the country of Belgium, has ruled against buying FIFA points, which is the virtual currency used to purchase packs inside the FIFA game, since it's also considered to be a form of gambling. The stake-backed platform has been making major headlines lately because it just signed the streamer XQC away from Twitch for an astounding upwards to $100 million contract that spans over the course of two years. Now, since he's done this non-exclusive deal and he's actually getting $70 million guaranteed over two years with a, an incentive bonus of upwards to $30 million over those two years if he reaches certain uh, milestones and then amaranth followed suit although we don't know how much her contract is worth it's rumored rumored around 30 million dollars dr disrespect has now gotten into the conversation and he has shared how much it would take for the platform to get him to move over from youtube one million dollars oh well if that's all it's going to take i don't know why kick hasn't jumped on that deal no seriously dr disrespect has shared exactly how much it would take and he's been on youtube since his infamous ban from twitch dr disrespect says it will take 50 million five zero 50 million to get him to join kick and this was a tweet that came from the 22nd of june he posted a picture of himself with a green box around his face which is similar to other recent kick announcements on twitter Keeping it very short and sweet, and sweet in perfect Dr. Disrespect style, he said, 50 million is my number. Of course, fans quickly took to the replies to share their thoughts of the two-time joining this budding site, although the official kick streaming account hasn't responded back. Uh, some were saying, give them a bargain, you respectful man. One user replied, we'll see you soon, Doc. The rumors of Dr. Disrespect moving platforms have been swirling around the community for months, and this was going all the way back to March, after the two-time champion made a comment about it on his stream. 
uh, Trainwrecks TV and the team have continually teased big name signings for the green platform with the last two, the biggest the platform has seen since its inception of XQC and Amaranth. But we're going to have to wait and see what happens in the in the future. But we're going to report as more and more streamers are either saying they're not jumping over, they are jumping over. Um, I do remember seeing Pokimane coming out saying that it's immoral for her to switch to kick for the gambling reasons. Although that's a whole nother story in itself we're not getting into today. We'll revisit that one later. So we'll keep an eye on it and we'll let you know, will the doc change platforms? So my next question to you, is EA having an identity crisis or they're just going through a bad breakup? Electronic Arts is changing its game studio structure into two. They will now have EA Sports. EA Sports. It's in the game. And EA Entertainment both of which will be reporting directly to the Electronic Arts CEO, Andrew Wilson. The move was made to empower EA Studios with more creative ownership and financial accountability. Wilson did say in a statement that EA Entertainment encompasses extraordinarily owned IP, including some of the world's most beloved blockbuster franchises, as well as licensed IP through their powerful collaborations. We're building the future of interactive entertainment on a foundation of legendary franchises, innovative new experiences, which represents massive growth opportunities. Now, EA Sports will handle the portfolio of sp the sports properties that EA already owns. Cam Weber has been appointed its president and will overlook the franchises such as Madden, PGA Tour, the NHL, EA Sports FC, which is formerly known as FIFA. EA Entertainment is going to oversee the non-sports games within Electronic Arts and will include the studios like Respawn, DICE, Ripple Effect, Ridgeline Games, BioWare, and EA Originals labels. Leading the EA Entertainment side will be Laura Miel, President of Entertainment, Technology, and Central Development. She was previously EA's chief operating officer and will continue to work with other EA executives. Now, additionally, chief experience officer Chris Bruzzo is retiring from EA Arts and David Tinson will replace him. The chief financial officer Chris Sue has left for another opportunity at Visa with Stuart Canfield taking over his role. This shakeup comes amid other news related to electronic, electronic arts. Now, recently, EA decided to forego the FIFA license and rename the soccer franchise EA Sports FC. Now, the latest title out of the EA Originals Interactive called Immortals of Avium is delayed to August 22nd, and Titanfall 3 was reportedly in, in, in production. I think they said they were working on it for about 10 months until Respawn decided to pivot over to Apex Legends. Now, this is a reminder, EA is being sued currently because of its new college football game. So the upcoming sports title, EA Sports College Football, was hit with a lawsuit by the Brander Group, which has deals to negotiate group licensing for contracts of about 54 NCAA Division I schools. And the lawsuit is alleging that EA's current opt-in licensing arrangement for the players is just an attempt to go behind the Brander Group back on the licensing. Front Office Sports reported that the lawsuit was filed 
in a federal court in the North District of California. Now, the court documents are alleging that EA has been in contact with the Brander Group multiple times through 2021 and 2022 about the sports college football game. And EA said it would go through the Brander Group for licensing deals with the athletes at the schools. But instead, EA is partnering with a company called One Team Partners to offer the college athletes opt-in name, image, and likenesses deals. And each player is being offered a flat payment of around $500 and no royalties. The College Football Players Association has been urging their players to boycott the proposed deal, calling it just a ridiculously low amount of money. And I do recall in a previous story that I told that about this particular boycott, and they were they were trying to compare what these kids, and I'm going to call them kids, I'm sorry, they're college students, but they're kids, were being paid, you know, the $500 for their likenesses. And here you have these NFL players that are getting paid tens of thousands and more for their likenesses. And it's really hard to, to compare the two. They're two totally different levels of play. Um, but I know that this is a big point of contention. The whole no royalty thing, that one's a little interesting to me. But I'm not a legal expert, so I don't know how that would really shake down for, for, the, for the kids, for the players, if that is a fair deal of just $500 for your likeness. Or should something else have been negotiated? But the Brander Group lawsuit has said it should be able to negotiate a fair deal for the players and the schools that they represent. And has said that EA's current opt-in model uh, amounts to legal interference. The filing goes on to say that the deal that EA has made will place schools in a position of either breaching their contract with the Brander Group or potentially losing the opportunity for themselves and their athletes to even participate in the game. The filing continues with EA's tactics will also cause irreparable harm to the client athletes and to every student athlete who opts into the scheme for unfair, unfair compensation because they are being deprived of the opportunity to have their own representative negotiate on their behalf for fair compensation for the use of their NIL, which is the name, image, and likeness. Now, the Brander Group is asking for EA to immediately halt its negotiations for all schools with which the Brander Group has contracts. And in a statement, TBR, the Brander Group, reiterated the student-athletes that they represent are the primary concerns. We believe student-athletes are not receiving their fair market value for their rights and that, that the contractual rights asked for may limit other gaming opportunities. Now, EA ceased production of its NCAA football series of video games back in 2013 following other legal issues around the licensing of the player likenesses. EA Sports College Football is the first college football game it's worked on ever since. The GameSpot has reached out to EA for comment but hasn't received anything back. We will update as we hear as well. Good news, everyone! Xbox Series X and the Game Pass are about to get a little more expensive. That's not good news at all, is it? Microsoft announced in a statement sent to IGN, Carrie Perez, the head of communications at Xbox, confirmed that they were raising their prices. Microsoft says they will increase the price of its high-end ninth-generation console, the Xbox Series X, beginning on August 1st. 
And The Verge notes that the pricing will impact most countries, not including the U.S., explaining that the cost of the Xbox Series X will be about $479.99 in the U.K., $549.99 across most European markets. It is important to note that the Xbox Series S will remain at the same price for the 512 gigabit model. However, the price of the Xbox Game Pass will increase in all countries with the service. Beginning on July the 6th, the Xbox Game Pass Ultimate will now cost $16.99, which is about a $2 increase. And the regular Game Pass will now cost $10.99, which is a $1 increase. However, the price of the PC Game Pass will remain at $9.99. This is the first time Microsoft has announced an increase for the Xbox Game Pass since the service launched back in 2017. These announcements are not really surprising. The boss of Xbox, Phil Spencer, he mentioned back in October of 2022 that the price of the hardware and Game Pass would go up at some point. But the news is coming at a really interesting time for Microsoft. The company was heading to court to face the FTC because the FTC is requesting a preliminary injunction preventing Microsoft from closing on its acquisition of Activision Blizzard. And the FTC announced in 2022 that it was suing Microsoft over that deal with an evidentiary hearing separate from this month's trial, which is currently scheduled for August the 2nd. Now, although Microsoft currently has a legal battle with the FTC to determine the future of its Activision Blizzard deal, Perez told The Verge that its acquisition had nothing to do with the company increasing the price of Xbox Game Pass. Uh, was quoted as saying that Microsoft hasn't changed the pricing since launching in 2017, and the company was keen to stress that this isn't related to the acquisition. The price adjustments are not related to the deal and are intended to match just local market conditions, which is an interesting clarification from Perez considering that the UK's Competition Markets Authority, which is called the CMA, blocked the acquisition deal a few months ago and it had raised concerns that it, if Microsoft did in fact purchase Activision Blizzard, it would make the Game Pass more expensive. Now, Sony has come out and said that if the deal goes through with the acquisition of Activision Blizzard, Sony won't share plans for the PlayStation 6 with Activision Blizzard. Eurogamer reported that the CEO of PlayStation, Jim Ryan, told the Federal Trade Commission, the FTC, that it wouldn't give immensely sensitive information about its next console to a company owned by Xbox. (coughs) Sony simply could not run the risk of a company that was owned by a direct competitor having access to that information. This is a direct quote from Ryan, raising concerns that its game development process would be interrupted as it could no longer share confidential details about its next console. Now, while Sony won't publicly announce the PlayStation 6 until around a year or so before launch, meaning it's not official yet, it has discussions and it shares hardware with developers ahead of time so they can prepare games for new systems, which makes complete sense. Why are you going to put out a next-generation console and then have to wait a year for developers to catch up. They're going to tell them ahead of time so that on launch day, 
such as the likes of Call of Duty, will appear as a launch title. Although Sony started suggesting that the Microsoft deal going through would prevent it for the next console. And it would allow for the likes of Call of Duty to be optimized for Xbox during this additional stint of development time, but it wouldn't be available on launch day like it has in the past. Now, Ryan's comments does hide, it highlights an issue with the Activision Blizzard deal that hasn't really been talked much. And it's perhaps one that's not satisfied by Microsoft offering PlayStation a 10-year deal to ensure that it retains Call of Duty. Xbox will presumably have to deal with this same issue when the next console generation comes along. And of course, Sony owns the likes of San Diego Studio and Bungie, who develop MLB The Show and the Destiny franchises, and which are both multi-platform titles. Several more stories around the deal are likely to come out as the FTC and Microsoft continue their battles in court. And as the FTC attempts to impose a preliminary in, un, injunction on Microsoft and Activision Blizzard, the FTC's eventual decision will be a huge milestone in the journey of the deal, whether it goes through or not. Although the Competition and Markets Authority opting to block it was probably one of the biggest parts of this whole deal uh, as it's gone forward. Now, the FTC is not just going after Microsoft. They've got lots of little tentacles out there. And so they're not only going after Microsoft, they're going after Amazon. Why? Well, back on the 21st of June, the FTC came out and announced they're suing Amazon.com for what the agency has described as a, quote, years-long effort to enroll customers into its prime program without their consent while knowingly making it difficult for consumers to cancel their subscriptions to Prime. Now, the FTC did file a complaint in the U.S. District Court for the Western District of Washington and said that Amazon has used manipulative and coercive and deceptive user interface designs to dupe customers. Is that the patterns were in violation of the FTC Act as well as the Restore Online Shoppers Confidence Act, which was a law established to protect consumers. The FTC does allege that a button presented to consumers to complete their transaction didn't clearly state that in choosing that option, they were also agreeing to join Prime for recurring subscription. The release noted Amazon also deliberately complicated the cancellation process for subscribers who tried to end the membership by making them go through multiple steps to accomplish the task of canceling. Consumers had to first locate the cancellation flow, which allegedly Amazon has made difficult. And then once they've located this flow, they were redirected to multiple pages that presented several opportunities and offers to continue the subscription at a discounted price to simply turn on the turn off, pardon me, the auto renew feature or just decide not to cancel. But only after clicking through all of these pages could the consumers finally cancel. The complaint, which is 159 pages and is very heavily redacted, the FTC also accused the company of trying to delay and hinder the investigation, which started back in 2021. Now, launched back in 2005, Prime has more than 200 members worldwide who pay upwards $239 a year or $14.99 a month for their faster shipping and their other perks such as free delivery and returns. And for Twitch users, a free sub to your favorite channel every month. 
The lawsuit follows another Amazon-related win by the agency just a couple of weeks ago. Earlier in the month of June, Amazon agreed to pay a $25 million penalty to settle allegations that it violated a child privacy law for storing kids' voices and location data, as recorded by its popular Alexa voice assistant. It also agreed to pay $5.8 million in customer refunds for alleged privacy violations involving its doorbell camera called Ring. And if talking about all of that and the FTC and Microsoft and Sony weren't enough, let's go ahead and let's add Discord to it. Discord has just announced that they're adding monetization again with new subscription tiers for server owners. Oh, joy. Making money from a Discord server may seem like a faraway dream for a lot of people, but it really became a reality. Back in December of 22, when Discord added their server subscriptions for owners to be able to monetize their communities. Very cool. Then Discord is now looking to ramp up the revenue stream once again with new addition of subscription tiers for server for server subscriptions. Now, the tiers are going to essentially function the way Patreon tiers function. And for those who don't know, to break that down a little bit, the new tiers will allow users to access certain emotes and channels and more depending on what they get. And that's really up to the channel moderators and the owners. It's also similar to the way uh, the, the Twitch subscriptions work where you get access to the channel's emotes and then you can pay more. You can get a couple of extra emotes and then you pay a little more and you get a top tier emote. But this one gives you acts like access where you can do Q&As with the moderators and the owners uh, or you can get the special emotes or just, you know, whatever perks they want to put in there. The new server tier subscriptions are going to be enabled across all community servers, and it's up to the owners of that server as to which what's going to be offered in each of the subscription tiers. Now, this is in stark contrast to the old server subscription model where there was just only one type of subscription, and it was may not have been the best option for certain users in the community. Now, in the announcement post, Discord provided some templates of what each tier could give to the subscribers such as exclusive emotes and the custom perks subscriber only channels roles and more and like these are only just suggestions it's going to be up to the particular owners of the server to make the determinations of what each subscription tier is going to have in it the launch means content from a specific channel in a server could would automatically blur out for users without the subscription tiers, which allows access to it. In Discord's server subscription spotlight, a lot of S's today, I'm so sorry. They featured a Valorant content creator and a coach who sold coaching lessons with his subscription tiers. Then included in the announcement as well is a teaser for a future update of a server shop where a server owner can set up a shop specifically for that server. And there's no doubt Discord will have a healthy percentage of each subscription and shop purchase sold, but that has not yet been released. All right, now it's time for a little bit of Reddit recap. Now, at the beginning of June of 2023, Reddit announced a series of API changes that saw third-party apps like Apollo facing monthly bills of roughly $2 million dollars. Redditors quickly revolted and organized a protest on June 12th that saw thousands, I think it was up to 7,000 subreddits that went private for an indefinite amount of time. And it was originally going to only last for 48 hours. 
But after some comments were made by the CEO of Reddit, uh, the revolt went a little bit further. So after allegedly receiving messages from admins threatening to remove moderators of some of these private subreddits, many decided to go ahead and reopen, but they turned the explicit content filter that's enabled on, on all the posts, and it prevented Reddit from running ads. Okay, what does that mean? They turned the channels back on. The subreddits went back, but they the filter was enabled and so everything was buried and covered because of the type of stuff they were posting was not safe for work and so reddit decided okay game on and they've started removing moderators from some of the top subreddits as the protests continue this has been a battle for a while. These these changes were announced back in like April of this year. And it wasn't until June when they were about to go live with these changes that the, the subreddits finally revolted and decided we've had enough. You're gonna you're gonna have to listen to us. And Reddit said, No, we don't, we'll wait you out. In a report from The Verge, Reddit has removed these mods, um, the ones specifically that opted to enable the explicit content filter. So the Verge reached out to Reddit. And their spokesperson shared that moderators incorrectly marking a community as explicit is, quote, a violation of both our content policy and moderator code of conduct, end quote. Soon after we were getting this reply from a Reddit spokesperson, Tim Rathschmidt, who is a moderator for the subreddit of Mildly Interesting, reached out to explain that its mod team had been reinstated by a different admin than the one that initially removed them from the subreddit. And while Mildly Interesting got its mods back just after a few hours after they were removed, other subs had that lost the mods after they decided to enable the explicit content filter, like Interesting as F and uh, Pro-Life Tips. They're still unmoderated at this point, and so chaos is just ensuing everywhere. The Reddit CEO, Steve Huffman, has maintained his opinion and position on these protests and continues to state that oh, they'll pass sooner rather than later and still maintains they have no plans to reverse the API changes. I love to have fun, don't you? I, I love a good prank. I love a good joke. But there are times when things just go a little too far. And I'm seeing more and more of these prankster videos and these influencers that are so-called pranksters and they've been spiraling out of control over the last several months here comes prank youtuber trey sellers and he is once again finding himself in some major hot water after one of his latest videos includes him warning a couple he only spared their life because they bought him a meal now, this is just one in a long line of these social media pranks that are just, they're really just getting out of control. TikToker Mizzy broke into people's houses on camera. You had Jadeon trespassing on college property, all in just the name of content. But now Trey Sellers has once again stopped stepping into this controversial limelight in this new video where he left a couple completely rattled by his remarks. Now, this has been reposted all across Twitter since he originally posted. So Sellers approached a couple. They were outside, they were eating, and he politely asked for money to buy food. 
a woman at the table made the kind gesture of buying him some food and he thanked him and grabbed a large rock and walked back to their table quote i wanted to say thank you so much for giving me that food i want to give you this rock he joked and caused the couple at the table to nervously laugh quote now if you didn't give me any money to get food, I would have bashed both of your skulls in with that rock. This caused the couple to go super quiet. And the woman began to pack up her things. Sellers continued with this diabolical monologue. Quote, life is about choices and you made a valuable choice. You decided to spare money for that meal and I've decided to spare your lives. Unquote. Now at this point, the woman and her date stood up and he and the man demanded that sellers leave and even threatened to hit him with the rock for just even talking like that. But thankfully, the woman made sure no violence occurred, but things could have ended so bad if the couple wasn't as forgiving. Now, footage of this prank, and I'm going to use that term loosely here, soon spread online with many praising the couple with how they handled it and condemned sellers' antics. But so far, the clip still remains on Instagram, among other videos, such as the one where he pulled a knife on a woman as a joke. And this is following other incidences where there was a streamer who had a gun pulled on him, where he pretended to pour gasoline on cars in the parking lot. And there was even another streamer here in the U.S. where he was shot because he was harassing a guy all in the name of a prank. How far is it going to have to go before these people stop doing these outrageous pranks? I love a prank. I'm very fond of pranks that don't hurt people. There's one couple that, that pranks each other where they have these confetti guns that are stuck all around their house and they have elaborate ways of setting off the confetti to, quote, get each other. Now, the husband tends to get the, the, the wife a little more often because he uses his daughter to help, but it's all in the, in the name of fun. He helps her clean up the confetti. She helps him clean up the confetti. It's innocent fun. Pulling a knife on somebody as a joke, threatening to bash their head in with a rock, pulling a gun on somebody, that's not funny. It's never been funny. It's just going to get you hurt. And you're lucky nobody in this video got hurt. I'm hoping eventually he'll see the error of his ways, and I'm hoping it doesn't cost anybody their life or severe injury because this, y'all, this is getting a little out of hand. And speaking of pranksters, there is one that's a little more well-known, and I don't know if you necessarily call him an innocent prankster, but he sure is very popular. Wade Wilson, also known as Deadpool from the Marvel Cinematic Universe, really kind of took off in a huge way when Ryan Reynolds took over the part back in 2016. We're not counting the... Um, Wolverine Origins movie because that movie doesn't exist. It was okay, but it doesn't exist. So anyway, so they announced that Deadpool 3 was going to be coming out, and it looks like they're going to have it released in 2024. With the announcement of Deadpool 3 came another huge announcement that Wolverine was coming back to the big screen. Now, for those who follow the story of Logan, Wolverine, in the X-Men series. The last time that we saw Wolverine was on screen in 2017 on the movie Logan. It was supposed to be uh, Hugh Jackman's last going as the character he's been playing since the release of X-Men back in 2000. And realizing how long ago that's been, that makes me feel really old because I remember seeing that one in theaters when I was a young, younger individual. Now... 
he apparently has been convinced by Ryan Reynolds to come back and redo the character one more time. So now we're going to have Wolverine come back. He's going to be teaming up or he's going to be at least on screen with, with Deadpool. This is going to be a riot, y'all. But it turns out there's at least one person who wishes that Wolverine wasn't going to be in Deadpool 3. During an interview with Variety, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny director James Mangold revealed his thoughts on Hugh Jackman's return as Wolverine in the upcoming Deadpool sequel. He said, quote, I can't say that there's a part of me that doesn't wish that we'd let it be, but there was always going to be another Wolverine. There could be a baby Wolverine or a cartoon Wolverine. As much liquid as they can squeeze out of that rag, they're going to try to. Now, Mangold famously brought the story of Wolverine to that, what they called the, considered the agonizing close in Logan. I am not going to really spoil it for anybody who may not have seen it yet, what happens in that movie. But while many of the fans feel that that film, Logan, was just the perfect endpoint for the character, and I kind of agree, Jackman was convinced to once again pick up the claws for Deadpool 3. And still, although Mangold thinks that Logan is still the perfect endpoint of that particular old man Logan story. He said, I don't measure my success on a movie like Logan with whether we ended the conversation. I ended my conversation. That's a very good point. He's saying, I'm done with the series, but if you're going to go ahead with the con and continue with the character, you go ahead. It's still unclear how Wolverine will return in the Deadpool sequel. And the character is said to be something completely new compared to Jackman's previous X-Men films. The Deadpool star Ryan Reynolds said, quote, I think he was ready. I think he was excited. What we pitched him was enough of a divergence from the character that he knows and the character that he's left behind that gives him something completely new to play and something he's really excited to do, end quote. I've been a pretty big fan of what Hugh Jackman has done with the Wolverine character. He really just took that character and made it his own. And I, I've been a fan since the 90s when, when they had the, the, the comic. Now, Wolverine was not my favorite character. That was Rogue. Um, yes, and, and Raven said his favorite character uh, was Gambit, which worked out pretty well together. But I, I love the Hugh Jackman uh, adaptation, and I think they've done a great job with him. I've been very pleased with what I've seen of Deadpool, and Ryan Reynolds is, is hilarious in the part. And so I'm excited to see what the two of them back on screen together can do. I mean, I did like their interactions in that origin story that shall not be named. Uh, so I, I'm curious what they're going to do with it and what kind of divergence they're talking about here. This sounds like it could be pretty exciting. And I apologize to, to Mr. Mangold that he may not be enthused with it, but that's okay. It's not his movie. And speaking of Marvel, Marvel just recently released a new television series. Now, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is still ongoing. We're currently in phase four of the movie series, but they also are doing more television productions, and they typically show up on Disney+. This one is called Secret Invasion. This series is going to take place after the events of the Avengers Infinity War and Endgame, and it's bringing back Nick Fury, very popular, very awesome character, portrayed by Samuel L. Jackson. Now, he's going to be fighting against the Skrulls, who are 
a green-skinned, shape-shifting extraterrestrial race that can perfectly mimic and simulate any human being at will, and they're infiltrating places of power, people of power within the Earth to take over. Okay, so now that we've got that part out of the way, the series just premiered, and the biggest takeaway from it is that the studio, who is known for their artism and their, I mean, they have a very big artistic legacy, and they used AI technology to make the intro. Now, the show director, Ali Salim, said that they purposely reached out to AI vendors for it. Quote, when we reached out to the vendors, that was part of it. It just came right out of the shape-shifting scroll world identity, you know. Who did this? Who is this? But the backlash was felt immediately with artists and creators, and they tore that intro to pieces. Many brought up the irony of Marvel having a huge amount of artists available, such as Kagan McLeod, the artist who provided the She-Hulk outro paintings, and also David Mack, who did the Winter Soldier ending credits back in 2014. Method Studios, the producers of the credits, has worked with Marvel in the past with shows such as Moon Knight and Loki and addressed concerns after the show debuted. Quote, AI is just one tool among the array of tool sets our artists use. No artist's jobs were replaced by incorporating these new tools. Instead, they complemented and assisted our creative teams. And this is according to a statement from Method to The Hollywood Reporter, saying everything was still in-house. Quote, working on Secret Invasion, a captivating show exploring the infiltration of aliens into human society, provided an exceptional opportunity to delve into the intriguing realm of AI, specifically for creating unique character attributes and movements. Utilizing a custom AI tool for this particular element perfectly aligned with the pro project's overall theme and desired aesthetic. However, in a now-deleted Instagram post, artists involved with the production called it groundbreaking, and how it was an honor to be part of this journey. Now, the same artist, going by the name of Sagan's, has a large body of stable diffusion work. So if Marvel or Disney used that program in the intro, it can be traced back to the Lion database. The Lion database is being sued by a photographer that wanted to opt out of the database and is also being sued by Getty and a class action case. So it actually might be difficult to prove that, quote, no artist's job was taken unless they fed the program their own work, something Salim called scroll cubism. Now, the statement did conclude with more reassurance of the process and said that Method Studios' team of designers were skillfully leveraging the power of both existing and custom AI technologies in order to apply the otherworldly and alien look and the entire process guided by expert art direction encompass the entire storyboard phase, illustration, AI generation, 2D, 3D, and culminating in the final compositing stage. We're going to be curious to see if they continue with this intro, considering the backlash. In recent months, really, AI art has become a very controversial sub subject, 
especially in the artist community, that feels that AI is starting to take over their jobs. And there was this big craze of everybody taking their faces and, and other subjects, and they were using these AI art programs to create these beautiful compositions, and everything was just gorgeous. But, I mean, they all kind of looked the same to me, really. I mean, they were, they were beautiful. I mean, I'm not going to say that they weren't, but I could see where an artist would get upset that if a program could do X, Y, Z, then why do you need me for ABC? So I think the artists were trying to avoid seeing a writing on the wall that they were going to be replaced because they weren't needed anymore. And you would see fewer and fewer opportunities for these artists. Um, so let's see if Marvel or Disney changes course on this one. I honestly don't think they're going to. They've been kind of on this, hey, we've got backlash. We're just going to deal with it. We're going to ride it out. We're going to wait everybody out type of thing. And we'll see how that goes. In the meantime, for those that are wanting to continue their foray into the Marvel Universe, the first episode of Secret Invasion is now available on Disney+, and new air episodes will air every Wednesday. This next story is one that was heavily debated uh, here at the Starter Zone as to whether we were even going to cover it. It's not entertainment news. It ties into gaming slightly and i'll explain that here momentarily we're here to entertain we're here to make you laugh we're here to inform and, and i guess that's where this falls under is we're going to inform for those that have been watching you may be a little familiar with the story of the titan submersible the titan submersible was a sub that went missing um off of the coast of newfoundland over in canada earlier this week it had five individuals in the sub, and their point and purpose was to go down to the site of the Titanic wreckage off the coast of Canada. They started their journey on Sunday, back on June the 18th. They took the boat with the submersible and went into the water. The submersible started a two-hour descent down to the wreck, which is about 4,000 meters below the surface of the water. An hour and 45 minutes into the descent, communications between the submersible and the surface vessel were lost. There's no way for the individuals inside the sub to communicate. They only had so many hours of oxygen. Um, they were... Scheduled to return to the surface later that evening on Sunday, but they never appeared. The individuals were reportedly in this vessel, locked in. There's no door. It had to be bolted shut for the safety to keep it contained. Canadian ships, U.S. ships and planes swarmed the area Monday morning. Sonar boys were deployed to look. They're listening. Uh, I'm, if I remember correctly, the French Navy even showed up um, with their deep sea diving vessel. Ocean Gate Expeditions is the owner of this submersible, and it was reported that the individuals on board, businessmen, um, the, there were five, the captain, and then three other grown men, one 18-year-old that was the son of one of the businessmen. 
and I'm going to say words because there is an update to the story. They've been looking and looking and looking. And essentially, as of Thursday the 22nd, their 96-hour air supply ran out. That was the timeline. So here comes Thursday. We're getting close to the deadline of the air supply. And two remotely operated vehicles were deployed from the U.S. Coast Guard. Uh, they were called the Victor 6000s, and they were put onto the seabed. And it wasn't long before a debris field was found. And it was found within the search area. They pulled the debris. They investigated it. And late Thursday afternoon on June the 22nd, it was announced that the debris was part of the submersible. And currently, the, the prevailing theory, the announcement essentially said that the submersible imploded within that hour and 45-minute time frame, and so all five of the individuals on the submersible have been declared dead at this time. Our condolences go out to the family and the friends of those affected. Horrible tragedy. Um, you know, I understand. They wanted to go and see history. They want to go down and, and be a part. The Titanic is not going to be around forever. It's already been down there for over 100 years, and it's falling apart. It's, it's being destroyed by the, by the environment around it, and there's not a way to preserve it. We can't pull it up. So in order for us to study this historic shipwreck, we have to go to it. And I know James Cameron has spent so much money going down there and filming it, not just for his movie Titanic, but for other. He has a passion for this vessel this piece of history and I know he's sent so many uh, people down to film it and catalog it before we lose it forever why am I bringing it up apparently I was not aware of this until this started happening and unfortunately social media can just be absolutely horrible sometimes it's a wonderful instrument but there are times when humanity I swear loses itself Jokes have been made about the men who went down, and, and I don't, I almost expected better, but at the same time, I, I, I expected what I saw. A lot of jokes making fun of the people going down, how much money they spent per person, the fact that it was allegedly controlled by a video game controller, uh, a Logitech controller, if I remember correctly. But in March of 2022, a game, an indie game, called Iron Lung, Iron Lung, was released. And it has now seen a spike in sales. David Szymanski is the developer of this indie horror game. And he's now spoken out, reflecting on the idea that those lost during this sub-expedition were stuck in the most nightmarish thing he could dream of. He's become a very big name in indie game development. Dusk is his most ambitious project and his biggest one so far. But he's also known for creating shorter horror experiences like The Music Machine, A Wolf in Autumn, and a lot of contributions to the Dread X collection games. But this one, Iron Long, really stood out. And now that these men were lost... The developer had commented on coming to grips with the real people inside this scenario that he came up with. P 
people online started to draw similarities between the Titanic sub saga and Iron Lung, he took notice of it and he kind of joked about it. He mentioned his game being mentioned on Twitter. You could see trending Iron Lung and Titanic side by side. He said, uh, yeah, it's been a weird day. A bit hard to explain. And then more and more people started talking about it and talking about it as time went on and going so far as to using it and making a joke about the situation. And while Szymanski admitted he laughed at many of the jokes made in relation to this horror title, he also feels it's wrong to have made money off of a tragedy. Sales of Iron Lung have spiked exponentially in the days following the disappearance. I haven't looked at the current sales since the announcement that the debris field was found, but my understanding from hearing other sources is that it's continuing to spike. Szymanski said, quote, I made Iron Lung the most nightmarish thing I could think of, and knowing real people are in that situation right now is pretty horrific, even if it was their own bad decisions. All the jokes I've been seeing are pretty hilarious, but also, good Lord, no one should have to die like that. At the time he wrote that, those lost at sea were still missing and whereabouts were unknown. And the most recent post has only addressed that this movie is now in a film production spearheaded by Markiplier. And that hasn't changed. That movie is still going forward and it will be called Iron Lung. So we'll have to stay tuned for news on that. Once again, condolences from us here at the Starter Zone to the family and friends of those that were lost at sea during the Titan submersible accident. For every sad story we see out there, hopefully we can see more and more of these happier ones. According to the We Rate Dogs Twitter account, which is a personal favorite of mine, if you, have, if you like dogs, go check them out. A man by the name of Dr. Robert Moore was about to face his 100th birthday. May we all be so lucky. And he's loved dogs forever. And so for the big milestone, his daughter Allison decided to post on Nextdoor, asking people to bring their dogs in front of their house to wish her father a happy birthday. They were expecting maybe 30 dogs. Over 200 showed up. The line stretched around the block. People and dogs brought him flowers, cupcakes and drawings, they even signed his birthday card. Allison, his daughter, said he was extremely touched. It was a day he will never forget. And he made sure to pet every single dog. I will leave the link down below for you to visit that Twitter account. The pictures are fantastic. Lots of happy smiles. Lots of happy dogs. Oh, so many happy dogs. The cupcakes, the banners, the balloons. It was fantastic. And honestly, if I make it to 100... I don't think I could have a better birthday party than that. And also, happy 100th to Dr. Robert Moore. Well, we started with the financial stuff and we ended up with dogs. And honestly, we could end with dogs every day and I'd be fine with that. I do want to thank you guys for joining us on this trip today through the Starter Zone. It was a fantastic trip, a little bit of a long one. We had a lot of stuff we had to cover. Uh, once again, I do want to remind you that I do leave the links below in my comments to all of my sources. So if you want to check out the dog pictures or if you want to see some of the cool videos that are attached to some of the articles that I reference to, by all means, drop us an email and send us links. If you have a story that you want us to cover, 
but we thank you so much for joining us every time we couldn't do this without you guys do remember to join us next time as we go back through the latest in entertainment and gaming news so remember stay comfy in the starter zone this has been amanda good luck and have fun Listening to the Starter Zone with Amanda. I am Raven. We thank you for your time and support. Without you, we simply would not be. Please hit that like and subscribe button and visit us on Facebook and Twitter at The Starter Zone. Have we missed something? Have something to say? Leave us a comment or send us audio clips for your chance to be on the show. We invite you to come back for more exciting news and commentary on the world around you. See you next time in the Starter Zone.